so I I think what's where, where it's actually relevant to start is like I started my career with the Detroit Pistons as an unpaid intern in 2001 and it was the summer and there was really nothing to do the Pistons sucked that year so they didn't make the playoffs um, in the 2000 season um, and so I started to do a lot with the WNBA team because they were playing in the summer and then that parlayed into like this uh, seven years with the franchises. So like um, they hired me straight out of college. Like I had worked, I had like I was like an unpaid intern for. I typically say in the story that I was an unpaid intern intern for two years because I pretty much wasn't paid. But like at one point I didn't make eight dollars an hour like towards the end of it. So it was like <laughs> so technically I, I got paid a little bit. Um, but then they hired me out of college because like it was just clear that like it was a fit and what was interesting about that um time is that at the beginning of that time it was all fax machines and copiers and at the end of that time in the middle of that time it was blackberries blackberries and emails and like i was i was traveling i was so i was 19 when i started there and then i was uh 25 when i left there I was almost 26 when I left there. And so um, when I was like, I don't know, 21, I got my first BlackBerry. I was like the second person in the organization to get a BlackBerry because I was the shock PR director at that point, and I was traveling with the team all summer. And so I like went, and the, the Pistons PR director was the first person to get a BlackBerry, and he had just traveled with the Pistons. And so I was like, uh, I need one, <laughs> like, just for no other reason than like, but then the BlackBerry being sort of the first real communication tool, because you could, you like, I could not only, you know, you could write emails, of course, but you could browse the web a little bit, and then like, I, I would actually write, like my job required a lot of writing, and so it, um, it allowed me to like draft um, things in the email and like email them to myself, so I, I started to get into like this headspace of like, I can become super efficient with these types of tools. Um, the internet was still, I wouldn't say the internet was really big yet, only because, like, I mean, pistons.com was, was an afterthought. Like, and, and, and like, DetroitShock.com was, like, um, less of an afterthought for some reason, but it was, like, um, not really, I don't know, you know what I mean. Like, it just wasn't an... You were going through different things at that time, too, professionally. So, like, um, 2003, 2004, basically that's when I remember, okay, um, for me it was, it was sports, and it was, it was sports information, and it was fantasy football, and it was Gmail. My, Gmail came out around that time, and my friends and I got a Gmail account, and we started emailing each other, and it was like, and I know people had been doing, like, instant messaging far before that, but my first real, like, internet culture thing was more, was later, it was like 2003, 2004 with um, fantasy football and with, like, Gmail, honestly, and then um, that got me, and so I was still with the Pistons through 2007, and we were busy as shit, we went to three straight NBA, we went to three straight Eastern Conference Finals, two straight NBA Finals, like, I mean, I was working, we, like, our, our thing was year-round hoops, we didn't get a break, ever. Like, we had the, the NBA team was one of the best teams. The WNBA team was, like, the best team. We went from worst to first, so it was, like, um, 
and it was what was cool about it is I got I, I got to market a product that nobody gave a shit about the women's team, um, and I got to market a product that everybody wanted a piece of, which was the men's team. So like it was this this dynamic of, of going from like working with GQ at Ben Wallace's house one day, and then like begging the local radio station to take an interview from an Australian white woman who's five foot six the next day that like can shoot a three point. So, um, and and like actually creating stories around the WNBA team was kind of what I was more interested in. It was more of a challenge. It was like, why should you talk to this this person? Um, she's more than just a basketball player, like, she does all these other things, like, it was more human interest stuff, and it was more, like, sales than anything else, it was, like, when we won the WNBA championship in 2003, like, we had to tell the story of, like, we won, like, 10, like, we, our winning percentage last year was, like, .003, and, like, this year, we're the best team in the league, we won the championship, we have the trophy. So we had to, like, pound the pavement, uh, taking the trophy around. Like, that was the only way we sold tickets. was, like, we're going to bring the trophy to your school. We're going to bring a player with the trophy. We're going to be there all day, go into all the classrooms, sign autographs, blah, blah, blah. And you're going to have to buy X amount of tickets to go to the game. Then we had to figure out how the hell to get the people who bought the tickets to come to the game. So it was just like this crazy experience of and then the next day it was like okay everyone calling me to try to get bill lambeer on um uh cold pizza or whatever you know just just all this stuff going on so like um but during that time um i started to i found a gap in the fantasy football landscape because I became obsessed. Like, you and I have talked about this. So, you are you actually already know this. So, like, I started my own um, website uh, to write about fantasy football. And then that parlayed into... Um, so, that was 2006 that I did that. And then by 2008, I had moved to Tennessee, gotten a new job at Columbia State Community College as the director of marketing, became responsible for all of their, um, all of their internal marketing and similar to what I was doing with the Pistons like I wasn't VP level with the Pistons when I left but I was like just under that and I had a lot of responsibility in the marketing of the entire organization um which was great like but I I made like $44,000 a year so (laughs) that sucks but um but it was great like experience so then so I was like I'm gonna move to Tennessee I'm gonna be the I know I'm not going to be at the community college very long just because I, I, I knew that wasn't my passion, but I knew that it was going to be a great experience to take to be on the executive team of, like, this pretty large organization in Middle Tennessee and, like, um, have really more of, like, a VP role reporting directly to the president. And being only 25, I was like, okay, I, I, I can learn a lot and make an impact here, and then I can go do something else. And so... What I thought the something else was going to be was, like, seriously, I thought I was going to go, um, I thought it was going to be my fantasy football business, like, no doubt. But um, basically what happened was I was, like, the first day I started work in, in Tennessee, um, I realized that there was something called a marketing agency 
And the reason why that was uh, different to me is because the Pistons, we had always done everything in-house. Like, we, 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 didn't, we didn't hire out to marketing agencies, ever. And the NBA didn't either. So, like, I had, I had never, I didn't even know what it was. I didn't even know it existed. Like, I had been working for seven years <laughs> and had no idea that there was, like, a business model that could, like, build the stuff that I was building for any client, any business, and, like, sell it to them. <laughs> and I was, like, fascinated by that because the um, previous, the person at Columbia State who previously held my position, like, uh, onboarded me to the marketing agency that she had hired. And then they started, like, whining and dining me. Like, they, now I get it. Like, they wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to fire them and hire another marketing agency because that happens all the time. But so... But I just, like, learned, like, I was just kind of, like, learned from them and was, like, and and I was, like, kind of thinking, I would do this. Like, I would, I would, eat, like, I would work for one or I would start my own or whatever. And so, um, like, what was interesting about that is I would say within, I was, so I was at the community college for four years. During that time, I grew my fantasy football business pretty significantly as my side hustle, which was great because I learned WordPress and converted my website, my fantasy football website to a WordPress site, um, did a lot of the college's stuff on WordPress, and basically said, we're going to fire the marketing agency and do everything in-house. <laughs> like, I, did, I didn't, I've never been the type of person who really likes to outsource my own shit. Like, if I can learn it and I can do it, like, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to teach the people around me how to do it. Because far, it costs far less. And, like, I learned that the marketing agency... I started to learn that the marketing agencies were kind of full of shit. And, like, why am I paying you... Why am I paying you thousands of dollars for, like, you to move a headline somewhere on an Adobe Creative Suite file, like, six pixels, and then send it back to me? Like, that's just fucking ludicrous. Um, and so I just started to see the gaps in, like... And, and, and kind of like the opportunity in, in that. And then I met a guy, I had an idea. So then towards the end of my time at Columbia State, this was two, probably 2010, 2009 I had the idea. Probably by 2010 it was like live in the world. And then 2011 it was like, happening for a while and then it kind of like folded at the end of 2011 but my idea was to create a fantasy wrestling game um and there was a wrestling company uh there is a wrestling company in nashville called uh, tna entertainment um it supposedly supposedly stands for total nonstop action but obviously everybody like laughs when they hear tna because they think of tits and ass um so and I think, I mean, that's got to be by design by them, I'm sure. Um, and so they've, like, I don't know where they stand now, but at the time they were WWE, WWE's biggest competitor. They had a show on Spike TV that got, like, 30 million viewers. Um, and so I knew them because I was job hunting. And I was kind of just job hunting for fun. Like, I knew that um, I wasn't going to be at Columbia State. I knew I wanted to go do something else at some point, and like I just kind of found it fun to go interview for jobs, um, and it was it, it was honestly like good sales practice um, for for the future, which I didn't think of at the time, but I was like, damn, like that 
that's good sales practice. Um, and so, uh, I'm trying not to make this story too long, but anyway, like, um, I met, so I had to hire, this was kind of maybe my biggest business deal that I had, like, challenged myself with actually putting the pieces together on, so I had to get a business partner that would help me fund the development of the fantasy football game because it's not an easy thing to develop. And I don't even have the skills today as a developer to do it, let alone back then. Um, and so my business partner was obsessed with fantasy sports and wanted to go in on this with me. And we were 50-50 uh partners on this business that we called fantasy brand marketing and we actually land, lined up a lot of a lot of deals the biggest one was this one with with um tna which they had they called their product impact wrestling um i think they might still go by in, I don't know, whatever it's the same company so um we built the we built we so i had to pitch it to the president of the company i had to pitch it to the cmo of the company i had to build the game i had to sign the deal with them I had to do all the promotions. I promoted it within the fantasy sports community. TNA helped me promote it within the wrestling community. It eventually got 30, it, like, upon launch, and, like, actually, it was live for about 13 or 14 months. It had, like, 30,000 active users the entire time, which was really solid. And, like, dude, I used to literally watch. They used to give me the DVD of the match. It, it did not air live. They, they taped it they taped it on a Wednesday. They aired it on a Thursday night. I would I would drive to I would drive from Columbia, Tennessee to Nashville, um, which is like a two hour round trip on Wednesdays, pick up the DVD. I would watch I would I would have two laptops in my office. I would watch the wrestling match on one laptop and I would go into the back end of the fantasy game on the other laptop and I would score the match because I built the scoring system and the scoring system was like if so-and-so has a mic promo it's x amount of points if so-and-so picks up a chair it's x amount of points if so-and-so hits another person with a chair it's more points like it wasn't based around winning and losing the matches it was based around like all the shit that happens in the matches. Um, and so, like, the CMO and the COO, like, they loved it. They wanted to keep it going. But, like, after a year, I mean, it was not... We were not making... Like, my, my company was not making any money off of it because it just... At the end of the day, it was just a bad business deal. It was, like, we had to... They helped us with the development cost. TNA gave us 30 grand for the development cost. But the development cost way more than that. And then... Um, the hosting monthly costs like a thousand or two thousand dollars a month to host it on AWS. Like it was ridiculous. So like we had to shut it down. But the guy that I had the the guy's company who we hired to develop the game, I obviously became very close with and worked intimately with them because like I was the architect of the game and I worked directly with the developer who built the game. And I was the marketer of the game and all, all that stuff. And so the silver lining to that was he owned this software company that had like 30 people and they were super successful. And he had, he started, the, he was the sole owner of the company and he um, started, 
it had the company for 25 years at that point already, and he was only in his mid-40s at that point. So I said, dude, hire me as your director of marketing full-time. Um, because, like, this game isn't a thing anymore, but, like, you know what I can do. <clears throat> um, and, you know, it, it can be something special for your business because I can, I can add these marketing services and these web design services to your company, which basically only codes custom software. And there's a big discrepancy between what a custom software developer can do and what a digital marketer, web designer can do. They're two totally different things. Um, and so that went really well. He, within, within a year, he had acquired another really good web design company, um, basically dismantled it on purpose because their staff sucked and they were just a horrible, horribly run business. Um, but they had a really good reputation for being this amazing like design team and like creative um, web design team. And they'd been around for 10 years and like everybody in Nashville knew them and was like blown away by all their design. But they just didn't, they weren't making any money because they didn't know how to run the business. So um, he put me in charge of that company. Like he acquired that company, put me in charge of that company and basically let me run it. He handcuffed the shit out of me in hindsight, but at the time I didn't really know what I didn't know about that. You know what I mean? And so... Now, sort of fast-forwarding to data, the data-driven design piece, like, within the first year of that experience, so now we're talking about 2011, I was, now my full-time thing, I, I, basically, Samantha had just been born, like, I was like, I can't do the side hustle shit anymore, I am going to focus on this new job, and... I put everything I had into the new job. I was working as much as I had ever worked, which I'm, I was at that point. I was used to working eighty-hour weeks. Like that—that's just what I did always. And so I just was doing that for this guy and like putting everything into this guy's company. And one of the clients. And so now my daily grind was like building this new company with him, explaining to the clients of the of the new company that we acquired who the hell I was because they were like, "Where's the other guy? Where's the other team?" Like, what is going on? And, like, <clears throat> so I had to learn, like, full transparency, honesty, like, not having any experience in what they, really what they had been doing. Like, my experience was different. So I had to, like, craft my own sales pitch real fast and, like, just to keep these clients on board. And, um, and at the same time, I had to work on all these projects that, and, like, dude, like, like so... It was me, like the new, like the company was me. And then I, I had like two other people. So I got like two other people. One of them was from uh, the, the software company. So I had to train him and he was the HR guy. So I had to like train the HR guy from the software company, how to do digital marketing, how to do web design, how to do all that. And then I hired one of Kate's former students um, who was working at a t-shirt design store I got to, I got like a thirty or twenty six thousand dollar a year salary approved to like hire him to be a web designer. He didn't know shit about being a web designer, so like it was me and these two other people who had never done it before. Um, and so I'm, I'm working on this project in 2011, and by this time I, I I pretty much know what I'm doing. Like I'm not like I don't feel. I mean I had an experience in doing this. I just hadn't really done it 
that much for clients yet, you know? And, like, that's obviously a big difference, but... Um, so I have 10 years of, like, doing it for clients now in my life. So now it's... it's but, like, back then, uh, I entered this one project with this pretty legit business in Nashville. This guy who had owned this company, he's an old guy, he's in his 80s, like, but he's sharp as shit, knew his stuff, brought us in to do the web website, like, brought us in to do, like, three websites for his company. So we do the three websites. It, it took a reasonable amount of time. Like, in my opinion, it took way longer than it should have. But, like, everyone still thought it was reasonable. It was probably, like, six to eight months to do three websites, which back then was pretty fast. Um, now it would drive me nuts to take that long to do three websites. But, like, but anyway, um, so we're about to launch the three websites. And um, the day... So... He calls us in on the day of the launch in person for this meeting. And it's like me, a couple other people from our company that like I had, you know, like, um, like that were helping me uh, from my team and um, like eight people from his company because that's just how he liked to roll. So he had all these people in there and it was like, okay, well, we have a problem. We're not going to launch the websites today. And we were, like, we were all just like, why? Like, even the people from his company were like, why? And he goes, well, I had my friend over for dinner last night, him and his wife. And, uh, yeah, he just doesn't like the website. And, um, and we're like, well, okay. And we're trying to be, like, respectful, obviously. And he goes, so we're like, what, what did he... We all thought we could kind of convince him otherwise. And... Um, so we're like elaborate for us on this, you know? So he goes, well, you know, Gary or whoever his name was, like he, he's been in the consumer packaged goods space, specifically like frozen foods, um, his whole career. And uh, yeah, he just doesn't think that like, if someone were walking by the frozen food aisle, that our website would really stand out to them. And dude, I was like, what the fuck? How, how, how do people make their decisions related to these services in this industry? Like, that is insane to say, like, on so many levels. And, and I, and I, in that moment, I kind of remembered, I started having, like, these flashbacks of, like, working on the project. And, like, what I remembered is, like, 47 different people from the client had 47 different opinions. And then, like, here was some other motherfucker's opinion who came over to dinner. And now this this one person's opinion who worked in, who worked in consumer packaged goods, frozen foods, is going to tell his friend, who's invested probably $80,000 total on these three websites over the last eight months, that he needs to start from scratch and have us redesign them because of his own opinion that it's not going to stand out. Like that just doesn't make any sense. And so this whole, this whole idea of using opinions to make decisions on websites for me, just like that, that fire in me that day in that meeting, like has never gone away to this day. Like it's just, it's still like burns in me. Like fuck your opinion. Your opinion doesn't matter. My opinion doesn't matter. Like, like, there, there is data that we can use to 
disarm people's feelings related to their opinions. So like, so the psychology, so actually, I think um, people that look at data-driven design and don't know me and that story and, and like have never really like worked with me, they, they probably think, like, definitely I'm a data geek. I, I am a data geek. Like, I know my shit when it comes to all the different kinds of web data and the different ways you can use it. But I also know how easy it is to get lost in the data. And, and, and data can do one of two things. It can make you super productive or it can make you super unproductive because it can send you into this black hole of like analyzing and, and all this stuff and never do anything because you're just always looking at the data and analyzing it. Or if you know what you're doing, you can say, the dat this these 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 data points can help us make decisions to be more productive and not overanalyze things and there's a fine line and so the the real story behind data driven design is we use data to make everything more productive and get things done faster so that you don't so and by the way like it doesn't it doesn't hurt anyone's feelings in the process. It doesn't like it's more of a psychology around using data than it is a science around using data. Like, like I can't tell you you're going to get more conversions if we do this thing because of the data. But what I can tell you is that we have all these data points that say that if you do these things, <clears throat> um, you're you're more likely to get conversions. And oh by the way. You should make that decision now based on that data instead of fucking debating it with your colleagues for the next six weeks. Because the opportunity cost of using all that time to debate it with your colleagues can be used for all these other things. So the productivity, to me, is more important necessarily than, like, the data science. You know what I mean? 110% true, and that's exactly what I... That's exact. That's exactly like my value prop. That that I like. I don't use those exact words, but that's exactly like the punchline in like when I'm having conversations with clients. Um, if I get real passionate in like a a meeting or like a, a presentation in front of I don't know fifteen to however many people, like I you know like that's it's like it's about it's it's what data driven designs differentiate. Data-driven design's differentiator is that we can guide you into making these more educated decisions so that you can move faster and you don't... Um, other, other, other agencies are, are going to make your project take longer for several reasons. They're going to make your project take longer because they bill by the hour. They're going to make your project take longer because they want everybody to be happy with the design and they want to be happy with the design. I don't care about the design. I want, like, the, the design, the good design should be a given, but, like, shouldn't you want your website to work for your business? And, oh, by the way, you don't really know if it's going to work for your business until you put it out there. So that's what you just said. It's like, you got to put it out there. You got to see what the data says, and then you got to make adjustments. And so that's, like, what, you know. Right. Well, and, and, and I think the other problem with most people's websites is, and this is where I really can... Um, make a lot of like this is kind of really how I close a lot of sales is just speaking to the fact that like now I, I would I would go so far as to say like 
seven and a half out of ten websites, the the business doesn't doesn't even know how to update their own content. Like nobody, like the 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 team that built it for them. Like I can look, I would look one hundred percent of people that I'm trying to sell to in the eye and just be like, you probably don't even know. Like no one probably even showed you how to update your content, right? Like I mean, and or if they if they did, like it's not good. Like you. You can't even really do what you want to do. I'm sure. Yep. It get it can get super convoluted. I mean, the dude at some point the opportunity to be like a really good thought leader consultant and like um, disrupt agencies is like a passion of mine. It's just it's not the time for that, and I don't know if there will be a time for that. But like, I definitely have the passion and fire to like um basically tell everybody that they have it wrong because of what you just said like because of what you i mean it's you just have it wrong because if you don't know how to update your content you're just you're not you're not using the right tools and you're not just you're slowing everything down and that really does hurt the business so um that's very true. And I'm glad you said that because that's actually like a perfect segue into one, like kind of the next, um, pe- like the parallel path of everything I've been talking about, which is like important to mention is like around, around the same time. So around the same time I started having this, um, revela- like realization that like I could, I could, um, create this differentiator around, speaking to people about how how I don't have an opinion, I look at data, um, and be different than everyone else um, trying to sell them a website or whatever. Um, what I realized was that, uh, to your point, no, nobody knew how to make their website convert for them. And nobody knew how to uh, beat their competitors out to get people to their website. And the good news was I did because I had my own, I had to do that with my fantasy football site. Like I, I built like a $30,000 a year business around my fantasy football site, which is not a huge number, but I built it from scratch, zero traffic to, you know, ranking for keywords on Google and then selling, like getting, going to CBS sports and saying how much, how many web visitors will it take and impressions do I need to serve for you to pay me an ad sponsorship and like like, getting them to buy insertion orders with me and like, you know, like, and then like getting members to pay for my advice. And like, and so I, I got, I got what businesses were trying to do. And it's just, so I, what was, what I did and what I really was still doing probably up until like, I would say this year is doing a, a couple different things. What I what I didn't what I realized early on like wasn't gonna be the winning formula would be to just jump right in and like start doing all these tactical things that I knew how to do. I think like I realized early on that like there had to be some kind of a playbook or a roadmap that allowed there had to be like a consulting deliverable that I would charge for that allowed me to get to know the business peek under the hood, get their data, understand their target audience, um, but not just charge them 
the fine line was like I couldn't just charge them for getting to know their business because that doesn't do anything for them. And they might be impressed by my ability to come back and tell them about their business, but again, like that's not really valuable. So um, I created over, I mean, it took me from 2012 to 2017 to really get, and like just doing these all the time, like selling them. Like I was selling them for, granted for other people's companies, but I was selling them for, and it, like the top ones were like $15,000, the bottom ones were $2,500. And it would just depend on all of what they wanted me to do, all of what they wanted me to look at. But um, digital strategy roadmaps is basically what I ended up calling them. Like right around, they, they had like different variations of names throughout the years, but it'd be like digital playbook, digital strategy playbook, digital roadmap, digital strategy roadmap. Like, and then it just was like digital strategy roadmap. So when I started data-driven design in 2016, I was like digital strategy roadmap. Um, and then in, in 2018, when we really started to um, hire employees like, uh, and hire our team, I made the decision that every website project would have a mini digital strategy roadmap baked into it so that every website would be based on data. So every, you can't be data-driven design and not have every single one of your projects be based on data somehow. So like, I was like, uh, so that, those we called the data dive. So like, so you would either buy a digital strategy roadmap from us and then maybe do your website or maybe the digital strategy roadmap would just be its own standalone consultant deliverable. Um, or you would get a website and you'd get the data dive as part of the website. Um, and there's all these other things you would do, but I, I really don't need to get into those details. Anyway, anyway so like, uh, now, what I've decided in the last two months is that there's a few, I'm super proud of the business that we built um, from like 2016 to, to, to the, like through 2019. And I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that I was able to hire and retain hand-picked people that I had always wanted to hire. Um, and I, even more than that, I was proud of the fact that like between Kate and I, like we, we didn't allow data-driven design to become the agencies that we despised. Like I, I would actually say these words to the team. I would be like, we are not the, we are not the fancy agency that has the fancy office with beer on tap that is charging clients for a bunch of bullshit. We're not the agency that has project managers. We're the agency that has like all producers that we all know how to do all the work and we're interchangeable and we have our own process and we're faster. I'm like, speed matters. Like <laughs> we charge flat fees so our clients know exactly. Like, I did everything the exact opposite of the agencies that I had worked for, like by design. And, and so, so now I'm even taking that a step further because where I'm at now is and this, this gets us obviously into like what, so that's kind of the background, right? Feel free to ask any, any questions ever about that. But like what I've, so from 2018 to 2020, 
I, by design, systematically hired people so that I could fire myself from the jobs that I was doing. And so I was in the good part of that was I had goals personally for myself in 2020 of like marketing the company. Like my <clears throat> my role in, in this year was supposed to be chief marketing officer of my own company. Like taking all of my marketing skills and not not me not spending any of my time doing any marketing work for any clients anymore, but like finally doing it for the business that I created. And it was going to grow like gangbusters. And I was going to, like, I would say pretty much all of 2019, I don't know, Kate and I maybe total. So I made a lot of money personally. Like, I say a lot of money. Like, I made a good amount of money, like, probably more money than I had ever made, like, in 2017 and 2018 because I was the one doing all the work for my own company. And I didn't really have to pay other people that much money. So I just kept all the money. Well, like then in 2019, I probably, between Kate and I total, we probably made like a third of what I made, the, you know, like each of the previous two years because I was paying everybody else's salaries, but I was like pumped about the fact that like in 2020, we're now going to have this business plan where I'm going to be able to do all this marketing. And I had hired a business development person like, I had finally actually fired myself from, like, the last job that I was doing that I didn't want to be doing. And I was finally going to be doing, like, the job that I wanted to be doing. Well, then, obviously, everything changed to the point where, like, I had to go back to 2016, 2017, where the company was literally only me and I was doing all the projects. Um, so, that kind of forced me to um, think about... How can I take, how can I make data-driven design more efficient and rebuild the company to where, like, we could still offer the same things, or we, we, could, we could still, we can offer some of the same things, but not all of the, not all of the things, and the, some of the things, the, the things that we're still going to offer are just, are going to be offered in a different way, and so where I am today is kind of what I told you the other day, where it's like, now, instead of doing these projects where... So, like, um, six months ago, we were doing projects that would be, like... We would have four people on one project. We, we had started it to become the agency that I didn't really like to be. Like, we had, we had started to become, like, way too many people on one thing, way too many, like, conversations about the same thing, way too many meetings, like... And so, um, in, in the, in March and April, in, in March, April, and May, as I was working as a, like almost simultaneously, as I was back to working on all the client projects, I was thinking, um, what don't you like to do and what do you like to do? And how can you build a business? How can you build a business? around data-driven design that's that's scalable again around only the things that you really like to do like and so what I did what it what it came down to for me was um, basically everything about talking to the client 
I cannot stand. Um, not because I don't, like, if you talk to anybody who's ever worked with me, they will probably tell you first that, like, I definitely am the king of, like, trying to be client service focused. So, it, but it's more about, it's such a waste of time. It's a waste of the client's time. It's a waste of my time. It's a, like, I could be building you your website in the amount of time that we're having the meeting to talk about the website. It's literally down to that efficient. So, like, why wouldn't I, why wouldn't my value proposition now become more of a, well, you and I hit on a few, like, a few minutes ago, which was, like, if you can build a website Actually, let me back up. So this will probably make more sense. There's Squarespace and Wix, and then there's custom websites, and and like WordPress is somewhere in the middle there. But the the problem the problem with Wix and Squarespace is that the good thing about Wix and Squarespace is it doesn't really cost anything. So like you could start a business tomorrow. You could you could start on Squarespace. What you would find within the first probably six weeks, if not sooner, is that you hate your website because you have to do everything on your website. So where, where, where I think data-driven design, I'm calling it like 3.0 in my head, is like the new value proposition on top of everything else is we're going to allow you to essentially order a website from us based on data that costs this entry-level fee, and then we're going to build it for you. You're going to submit us the content. We're going to build it for you, and you're going to get it like basically within a week or two. And if and and that would be so, but like, like kind of putting together like a menu of, of, of options. So like data-driven dot design slash start is like a you're probably not in front of your computer right now, but like the data-driven dot design slash start page is a page that I built for kind of like the new process, which is still have the same 30-minute conversation that I was having before. And the actually, I didn't tell you what the old process was, but like the old process was get a lead in, whether it's word of mouth or whether it's through the website or social media or whatever, have them book a time on my calendar, um, have a 30-minute free consultation, and then the next steps coming out of the 30-minute free consultation would be a custom proposal that I would send. And then after the custom proposal, it would be a uh, still more communications, like another follow-up discussion probably for more like 90 minutes about, okay, why is this in the proposal? And then it would be like a second version of the proposal. Like, I was in the B2B long sales cycle business for a long time. I understood that. There's, I still have a lot of patience. I don't mind that. But now what I'm trying to do is like, instead of saying, I'm going to propose something based on, instead of saying, I'm going to propose something based on what you've told me you want, and then, then I'm going to come in during the project and use data and everything to make it really efficient and effective, I'm saying we already know what's efficient and effective based on our 10 years of doing this and all of the data that we have, and we already know 
how to build a website and and make it to where you can update all the content like we don't need to spend time discussing all the different things that you think you need but instead we're going to provide a better client service experience by just coming and saying we are the solution for the business that doesn't want Squarespace and Wix because they don't have the time to do it themselves. They don't have the money to have an in-house team or an external team that's building something for them, but they do have the money to get started with data-driven design to where we build something for them fast based on data, give it to them. Then they can, uh, they can either leave and be happy with the website that they bought or they can join the data-driven design support community for $100 a month, which is a membership, and then they can um, get support and hosting and add things, and then, then we're your team to add things onto the website and all that stuff. So, and I have like pretty big ambitions for data-driven design, for the voice designer, and for a lot of other things that like we could be adding as services that we're not going to be able to do with just me. And we're not going to be able to do it with just me, especially if I'm like trying to also do the work on the projects and do everything. So I want, I want um, simpler value exchange up front, simpler transactions up front that's more scalable and more of a volume play that allows... Uh, still, like, I still want the value exchange to be like the best that it can possibly be because I don't want to be like the agency that like screws people over. But I want to be less of an agency, and I want to be I want to be more of a I don't want to be a digital agency anymore. I think that's the thing. I want to be a mix between a software as a service product and a services business. I want to be like those two things combined.